Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. And Cudlow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Cudlow. I'm David Asman, in for Larry today. The Department of Justice is putting pressure on the White House to release the transcript of that interview between President Biden and Special Counsel Robert Hur. Meanwhile, in New York, a judge is ordering former President Trump to pay $355 million in damages and about another $100 million he has to put up in interest, putting the fate of his Big Apple empire in question. But folks who are doing business in New York are scared to death that this decision could put New York's economy into a deep freeze. Kelly O'Grady and David Spunt are standing by for the details. But first up, Fox News' David Spunt, live in D.C. on fallout from special counsel Hur's report on President Biden. David. Well, hi, David. The Department of Justice is willing to cooperate and turn over the transcript if several hurdles are cleared. In a letter sent late Friday to the chairman of the big three committees looking into the impeachment of the president, the DOJ official wrote, the transcript of the interview between Robert Hur and President Biden that took place in October must be looked at by intelligence agencies to make sure there's nothing classified. After all, the whole premise of the investigation was that special counsel Hur was looking into classified information found at the home and personal office of President Biden. Once any classified information is redacted, the White House would then be able to look at any sort of executive privilege, if warranted. If that happens, that could definitely slow down the process for DOJ turning over the transcript to Capitol Hill. Now, when it comes to executive privilege, I'm told there's not much DOJ can do to block executive privilege. In this DOJ letter to Congress, the official writes, the department is committed to responding to the committee's requests expeditiously, consistent with the law, longstanding department policies and principles, and available resources. Attorney General Merrick Garland is essentially putting the pressure somewhat on the White House to make a decision, as the White House also has a copy of the transcript, David, by forcing the White House to ultimately make a decision that somewhat takes the pressure off the Department of Justice. Also, Special Counsel Robert Hur is slated to testify on March 12th and expect him to be asked about that March interview or that October interview, excuse me, which took part uh, place in part of two separate days. Back to you. All right, David Spunt, thank you very much for that. And now let's turn to New York, where there is another story that's been simmering over the weekend. Let's bring Kelly O'Grady in, live from Trump Tower in New York City. Kelly. Well, it's great to see you, David. And that's right. Friday's ruling has fallout in multiple areas. First, uh, the business community here in New York, it's having a chilling effect. The concern being, well, if this could happen to former President Trump, what stops the same fate from coming for real estate developers or other industries in New York? A Trump spokesperson said the following, quote, Every member of the New York business community, no matter the industry, should be gravely concerned with this gross overreach and brazen attempt by the attorney general to exert limitless power where no private or public harm has been established. Now, one major hedge fund manager is saying it sets the precedent for every property owner to be arbitrarily declared guilty. Others are even questioning why stay in New York, given the business climate. I would never 
invest in New York now. And I'm not the only person saying that. Do you think any foreign institution or any private equity firm or any pension fund would touch New York? No. And that's why New Yorkers should be concerned. Now, the path forward for former President Trump himself is also bumpy. He's facing a $450 million fine if you include interest in that original figure. And a big question is how he would cobble together that sum. Selling New York real estate assets could be premature if he wins that appeal, but he may not have enough cash on hand. What makes it all trickier, David, is the moratorium on his financing efforts. He can't get a loan under this ruling from New York chartered institutions for three years, which essentially means he can't borrow from anywhere except smaller institutions or his friend. Now, the appeal comes next, David. He will have to post that $450 million uh, in escrow or put up a bond, but both he and his lawyers are saying that he is ready to meet that deadline in 30 days. Back to you. Although it looks like they're setting him up for him to lose. I mean, not only are they fighting him this huge amount, but the way they're forcing him to borrow money if necessary is, is an impossibility. Kelly, thank you very much. I appreciate that. For more on all this, let's bring in Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry, uh, you know, first of all, on the business community in New York, they are wondering if it can happen to him. It can happen to us. We had Governor Hochul from New York come out over the weekend and try to dispel things, but she actually made them a little worse. Let me play that sound and get your reaction. Roll it. I think that this is really uh, an extraordinarily unusual circumstance that the law-abiding and rule-following New Yorkers who are business people have nothing to worry about because uh, they're very different than Donald Trump and his behavior. So, Congressman, isn't that just confirming that this was a political decision, not blind justice at work, but a, a political hack job against uh, Donald Trump? That's exactly how I see it, David. I mean, very different than Donald Trump. So, Donald Trump's running for president. We hate Donald Trump, but don't you people worry. We want your money. We want you to invest in New York, but not this guy because he's running for president and he might win. I, I think, uh, you know, Kathy Hochul said the quiet part out loud. Yeah. And not only New Yorkers, but the rest of the world heard it. That's ex yeah, that's yeah, exactly she's, right. She's not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. I got to say that. But uh, we, we do have something quaint called a constitution. And that constitution has a 14th Amendment in it. And I'm just going to read part of the 14th Amendment. It says, no state shall deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, so it's been 70 years since this law was, was attached. Nobody but Donald Trump uh, has been affected by it in the way he was because of what he did. That seems to be, to me, a, a violation of the 14th Amendment, equal justice. Well, why wouldn't the, uh, why wouldn't the left uh, use, the, use the Constitution against uh, this president? They don't actually care about the Constitution, and they're interested in, in any kind of new way to use lawfare against uh, the former president to make sure he doesn't become the future president. And that's exactly what's happening here. And not, not only have we seen it from Kathy Hochul, we've seen it from this judge. And the fact that they've made this ruling that he has to comply with in 30 days, everyone knows what's happening here. Unfortunately, the president's, the President Trump still has to deal with this somehow and, and, and satisfy this, uh, this circumstance. And as you said, David, they're literally setting him up so there, there's no way that right. he's, he can succeed. 
It's exactly what the Constitution was conceived to prevent. And by the way, meanwhile, he is running for president. I mean, it's not like he, he has nothing yeah. else to do. But the, the, the idea, of course, was to fill his time with all of these lawsuits uh, and, and prevent him from campaigning. But somehow he manages to, to do it because he's Donald Trump and he does those sort of it's, things. It's, it's the ultimate in election interference. And I found yeah. it fascinating as well regarding your other story that President Biden is claiming executive privilege yes. uh, regarding these documents and coming to Congress. Meanwhile, they're denying executive privilege to the, uh, President Trump for when he was president with documents. They, they, these people know no shame. They know no bounds. They use whatever they can. Uh, and, and the hypocrisy be damned. They just don't want Donald Trump to get anywhere near the presidency. And that's what the root of but this is. But what they are showing the American people is the juxtaposition of Donald Trump uh, dealing with all of these lawsuits, uh, having to come up with this huge amount of cash, which normally rich people don't have. It's tied up in assets right. and running for president all at the same time and doing a pretty damn good job of running for president at the same time, running around while while President Biden uh, has this this problem just getting up in the morning, apparently, because he goes to bed so early. They put a stop on all of his activities, uh, spends most of his time, it seems, on vacation. Uh, and now, of course, uh, uh, special counsel hers report suggests that he really has enough trouble so that that's why he wasn't charged with a crime because of his his horde of documents that he took when he was senator and VP. So I are you guys in Congress going to demand to see the transcript of that her conversation oh. with the president? Of course we are. Absolutely. Members of Congress are also people that have national security clearances. I'm one of those people and not just the one that you sign when you get to Congress, one that is actually done by the security clearance folks that that do real ones that take a year to get. We have those clearances as well. There's absolutely no reason that Congress can't now that the case is over and, and it's been determined what the fate is going to be. It's going to be nothing. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever, executive privilege or classification that stops Congress, members of Congress, certainly the big three, from taking a look at those documents and making their own determinations. Yeah. Now I, now I want to turn to that Georgia case against Donald Trump, uh, which is a very complex case. And yet it's, it's handled by a couple of prosecutors who seem to be like the Keystone cops uh, on steroids. So you, you have prosecutor D.A. Uh, uh, Fannie Willis or Fannie Willis, I guess is how she pronounced it. And her sidekick, Nathan Wade, who was turned out to be her boyfriend as well. I have to play a tape, by the way. This is from 2020 when she was running for the DA's office. Uh, and I just want to play it for you and get your reaction. Roll that. You're sitting with someone today that actually wants to make a difference because they deserve a DA that won't have sex with his employees because they deserve a DA that won't put money in their own pocket. <laughs> Knowing what we know now, won't have sex with her employees, knowing what we know now, shouldn't she be disqualified just on the basis of that tape alone? Well, of course she should be disqualified. But like I already said, David, Democrats on the left know no bounds, certainly when it comes to hypocrisy. She can't even live up to her own standards. Why should she expect the voters to expect her to live up to them? And they sh she should spare them the... Uh, the pain to have to continue with her leadership in that position and just resign now if she had any respect for herself 
or the voters or, quite honestly, the Constitution and the law that she professes to uphold. Yeah, and we have much more to talk. There's also Jack Smith, and who also has a very checkered background of his own, but we've got to leave it at that. Scott Perry, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Happy President's Day. Thanks oh, for being here. Happy President's Day. God All bless right. you. God bless you. Coming up, remember this. So the next big battle is going to be whether the very wealthiest among us began and the biggest corporations began to start paying their fair share. Well, Joe, a new report showing exactly what share of taxes the top 1% are paying. And it looks like you owe Americans an apology for what you said. We're going to talk about it with Russ Vogt and Michael Faulkner when Kudlow continues. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. So the next big battle is going to be whether the very wealthiest among us began and the biggest corporations began to start paying their fair share. We should be reducing the deficit by making sure that the wealthy and large corporations can just pay their fair share. We're going to continue cutting the deficit and cutting subsidies to big pharma and ensuring wealthy and big corporations begin to pay their fair share of federal taxes. Remember those? Well, sorry, Mr. President, but new data shows that since the new Trump tax code went into effect, the top 1% have gone from paying 40% of all income tax, which was big enough, to 45%. That's the highest share paid by the rich ever because of the Trump tax code. Joining us now is Russ Vogt, former OMB director and president at Center for Renewing America, and Michael Faulkner, former assistant treasury secretary for economic policy and chief economist at AFPI and an economics professor at the University of Maryland. Well, I could be, I, I could be kind of mean and talk about his family not paying their fair share, but I'm not going to go there for the moment, guys, because I, I want to talk about another fib that the president has said, that only the rich benefited from the tax cuts. In fact, we knew way back in 2019 when the data began streaming in and the New York Times, of all people, reported on it that the the 65 percent of all taxpayers, and again, this was in the New York Times, 65 percent of all taxpayers got a tax cut from the Trump law. Only 6 percent paid more. 
So I, I'm just wondering, Russ Vote, isn't wasn't this actually a blue collar bonanza? It was, and at the time, you saw every economic group, every demographic. Uh, was benefiting from the economy that was built as a result of that tax cut, that was built on as a result of that deregulatory agenda. And so they, the left has to go and essentially put these talking points out. But we know from recent history, because the American people saw those, those benefits in their pocketbook, that these, these, these accusations are just not true. And, Michael, one thing that is almost certain, if the Democrats take the White House and both houses of Congress, there are going to be uh, new taxes. We have the sunset, the 2025 sunset of, of, of most of the tax code that, that you guys set up under the Trump administration. But they also want things like the wealth tax, where people will actually be taxed on the basis of stuff they have, whether it's stocks or artwork or gold or whatever it is, that increases in value before they've even sold it. That's right, David. So if we... Don't do anything about it. Everything we did on the personal side in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act will expire in 2025. So that means the doubling of the standard deduction, the increase in marginal rates, everything that made the code more progressive. As Russ said, what we saw was the bulk of the American people, particularly at the lower and middle end of the income distribution, saw reductions in taxes as a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That goes away. And not only that, remember, David, in 2019, the Census Bureau came out and said that household income rose $6,000 on a real adjusted basis as a result of the economic plan of the Trump administration. We had the lowest poverty rates and the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. So to argue that these were primarily to the benefit of the wealthy, when in fact government statistics tell us how broadly shared that prosperity was, goes to again demonstrate the 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 nonsense that we're right. hearing out of this administration. And, Russ, you, you touched on this, and it's an important point, because uh, more and more the Democrats are losing their base, whether it's, it's black minorities, whether it's the Latino community. They're, as they begin to find out that they were actually doing better under the Trump administration than they have been under the Biden administration. No doubt about it. They want a safe country. They want a sane country. They want a prosperous economy. They, they don't want to go and have to pay hundreds of dollars when they go to the grocery store. So at every opportunity, whether from a data point perspective with regard to how they judge this economy, they look at it and they say, look, I, I was better off under Trump than right. I am under Biden. Why would I continue to vote for these policies? Well, what happens, Michael, uh, if, in fact, it's the other side that wins? If, if Trump uh, not only takes over the White House, but Republicans take over both houses of Congress, is it, is it conceivable that we could have some kind of new tax code? The one thing you guys didn't do, you did a lot, uh, but you didn't do a lot about simplifying the tax code. For you, There may be around the edges, but I mean a big simplification, like, like a flat tax, the one that Steve Forbes, everybody pay the same. And we could, instead of supersizing the IRS, we could downsize the IRS. We wouldn't be talking about supersizing it, just turn it into a collection agency. What about something like that? That's right, David. So we made a down payment on that with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, because when you double the standard deduction, it means that 
a much larger portion of the American people actually don't have to itemize, don't have to go through the complexity. It's just take the amount of income, apply the standard deduction, and then apply the rate structure. That allows us to get people off of the addiction to many of these special interest breaks and enables us to move towards greater fairness and, and reduce a lot of these deductions that create all the complexity in the code. If we could get it down to, as Secretary Mnuchin discussed, where people could file their taxes on a postcard, that's eventually the objective, but we've got to do it sequentially. Well, meanwhile, uh, Russ, the, the spending spree, speaking of addictions, this administration is particularly addicted to just spending more that they don't have. We now have, I think, an annualized, we have a deficit of about uh, $1.6 trillion, and it's growing. Uh, the last quarter came in, I think it was something around $530 billion uh, for the last quarter. Uh, where is all that going to lead? I know supply siders very often say, you know, a growing economy can cure everything. But this is, this is a big sickness in our economy right now, isn't it? It, it, is, it is a huge sickness. The, the spending that this Washington Uniparty is doing right now on an annual basis is not something that you can solve just by growth. Growth is obviously a part of the answer. It's a part of a balanced budget. It's a huge part. But you have to tackle spending. And not only are they not tackling it, they are dramatically worsening it. They're going to pass in March another $1.7 trillion spending bill. We have interest costs going from $350 billion when we left office to they're now $870 billion per year and headed towards $1.6 trillion. That's just interest. That's used to be what we would spend on the, on the deficit. The deficit, we're going to have another $20 trillion added over the next 10 years, and that's using some static assumptions that doesn't even include the cost of extending the, the, the tax cuts we've been talking about. Yeah. So our fiscal picture is worsening, and this, and this administration is just making it worse. Yeah, just, just to put it in something that people can wrap their head around, Russ, uh, I, I'm told that by the end of this year, just servicing the debt will cost as much of a, as our spending on the, on the military. Is that right? That's right. It's unbelievable. All right. Then we have all the regulations. This is the last one uh, for you, Michael. Uh, these, these green energy regulations continue, but it's not just green energy regs. It's all kinds of things. How quickly could a Trump administration turn that around? Yeah, so we're already getting to work at the America First Policy Institute identifying the regulations that Good. we can remove and start the process of eliminating. As you know, they're trying to to get as many through as possible prior to when the Congressional Review Act would still be applicable. And so we're working that if we cannot reverse it through the Congressional Review Act, then let's try to reverse it either through the reconciliation process or by beginning the process of doing it through rulemaking. But we've got to get started on that on day one, and that's yeah. why President Trump has called for hundreds, potentially a hundred executive orders to direct the agencies and departments to get to work undoing all the damage. You that's know, I, I remember back in 1980 that the, the Heritage Foundation put together a blueprint uh, for the Reagan administration. Sounds like you're getting something like that ready for another Trump administration. I'm glad somebody's working on all that. Russ and Michael, great to see you both. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. Well, coming up, Democrats want more and more money for Ukraine. But exactly where is all that money going? What is their plan for it? We're going to be talking about it with Florida Congressman Corey Mills. Also, as many as 17,000 migrants could be receiving cash payments that were originally meant for citizens of the United States. This in the state of New York. Betsy McCoy and Alec Lace will weigh in on that right here on set when Kudlow continues.
Well, members of Congress and the Biden administration met with Ukraine's Zelensky at the Munich Security Conference over the weekend. And as usual, the focus was our continuing uh, the war on with with between Ukraine and Russia and how the United States is going to fund it. But Americans increasingly want to know exactly where this money is going in Ukraine. And is there any interest in a plan to actually end that war? Joining me now is Florida Congressman Corey Mills, member of the House Armed Services and Foreign Affairs Committees. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, you know, there's a Great first of all, there's a, there's a question of whether or not President Biden is actually interested in dealing with you folks in the House at all. Let me just put together a soundbite of President Biden today and then of Speaker Johnson. Roll tape. It's been mentioned that I've been re requesting a meeting with the president for weeks now, a month. I've been asking to sit down with the president to talk about the border and talk about national security. And that meeting has not been granted. So, Congressman, I don't know if you could hear the president. The, the helicopter was going, but he said he wants a meeting with the speaker. But the speaker said clearly he's been trying to get a meeting with the president for weeks. And he has. So who's who's telling a fib here? Well, I was just spending the last two days with Speaker Johnson here in Florida, and I can tell you that he has made multiple requests to not only meet with the president, but also with Senate leadership to discuss these foreign aid supplementals. Look, the only thing that has come out of the Munich conference is a demand which has been more vocal than ever for Europe to stand up and actually do something and pay their fair share. What you're not hearing, however, is peace talks and an actual strategy on how to end the war in Ukraine. Let me be clear. This continuation of trying to entangle us in Democrat and Biden's endless wars needs to stop. And we need to be focusing on the priorities, which is the Senate passing H.R. 2 Secure the Border Act and us taking care of the American risk, which is our southern and northern borders. I will be clear. I will vote no on all funding to Ukraine. Our priority and my priority is to be the one who is carrying out my duties, my constitutional oath to protect the American people. And that's who I serve, not Zelensky and his regime. Well, there, I mean, it's not, as you well know, it's not only Democrats in the Senate that, that are for this, this endless funding without the You're kind right. of oversight that we need. There are a number of Republicans that are involved, including uh, the leader, the, the minority leader in the Senate. I, have you talked with those Republicans in the Senate that, that don't want any kind of strings attached to the, to the payments to Ukraine? Well, look, as I've made it clear more and more, the two Democrats who run the Senate, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, Ooh. have continued to play this neoconservative, neoliberal game of trying to fund and fund more wars. We've heard more war cries from Lindsey Graham and all the others. What we haven't heard is how do we actually secure our border? How do we look at the prosperity and economic growth strategies? How do we get single point legislation through that actually benefits the American people and drops inflation, where inflation, as you just talked about in your previous segment, is growing ha higher than the actual minimum wage. And so I think that we need to be taking our priorities here domestically, but we also need to focus on the fact that China, Russia, Iran, yes. and North Korea are geopolitically aligned and trying to drag us in a quagmire of warfare while China prepares its move in the Indo-Pacific on Taiwan. And so this is economic, this is resource, this is cyber-based, and we need to start looking at the evolution of warfare, not playing kinetic gun-to-gun, bomb-to-bomb, or tit-for-tat with Iran. We need to be smarter about foreign policy. Well, Congressman, I, I want to talk about Israel in a second, but since you mentioned the border, let me just bring it up and ask a simple question. Is there anything in that Senate bill that you saw that you agree with. We know that the Border Patrol agents, some of whom voted for Donald Trump, 
had had some things very positive to say. In fact, the head of the, the union uh, was actually in favor of the bill because of the points that he mentioned. He said some things could be stripped out in negotiation with the House. But was there anything you liked about what was in that bill? Look, what I've liked, and I continue to say how much I honor and respect those at the border, especially our CBP officers who are continuing to deal with this catastrophe day in and day out. It is a human rights, it is a national security and a health crisis. But the bottom line is that we have put a conservative and robust platform with HR2 onto the platform. I will not do a lumped bill that has foreign supplementals and our border. I'm not going to explain to the American taxpayers that we have to pay two and three times the amount of money to secure the borders of another nation before securing our own. The mom and dads who are actually getting up before dark and coming home late, barely getting by, I am not taking their taxpayer dollars and sending that abroad when it's needed here at home. You know, the other thing, of course, about the spending on Ukraine, there was no attempt to pay for it by take, taking something away from other things. For example, uh, super, no supersizing the IRS. I mean, you know, honestly, and, and just with Israel alone, correct me if I'm wrong, but Israel's about 15 to 18 billion dollars, right? That's how much the supplemental has it at. And if it you, was approximately 14 billion, okay. and it was an IRS offset that would not have increased national Bingo. debt. Bingo. Bingo. Well, I mean, 50 billion is how much the administration wants to spend on the IRS. You'd, you'd only have to take one third of that in order to pay for Israel, which is well, David, a vital there, interest to the United avenues. States. Yes, but David, there's multiple avenues of offsets. We could utilize the unused COVID expenditures. We could be utilizing the there money from UNRWA, who was actually a part of the October 7th right. incident. We could be looking at the IRS offsets. We could be looking at climate offsets. There are multiple ways that we can look at it because our greatest domestic and national security threat is our growing debt. We have $34 trillion. We have no GDP to national debt income ratio strategy. We're not looking at reforms, prosperity, and growth, which are the three key things that are necessary. And we're continuing to borrow and borrow and spend spend at a 1.6 to 1.7 trillion dollar yeah. level that is not sustainable for the American people or the nation. All right. Uh, Congressman, we've got to leave it there. Corey Mills, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate talking to you. Thank you, David. Switching gears now to the worsening migrant crisis. Let's bring in Betsy McCoy, New York Post columnist and former New York lieutenant governor and Alec Lace, host of First Class Fatherhood podcast. Good to have you both in the studio. Nice for you to make it on this holiday. Happy President's Day, by the way. So, Betsy, first to you, uh, as lieutenant governor, you told me you're familiar with something called the safety net assistance part of the budget. It's a significant part. It's meant for U.S. citizens. Now, apparently, very quietly, mm -hmm. Governor Hochul has been changing the rules to allow non-citizens who are here, many of whom here illegally, most of whom probably, uh, to qualify for this assistance. What do you make That's of That's right. Brand new. And it's just one of the many sweeteners that the Democratic politicians in New York are offering to ensure that New York remains the migration capital of the nation, the number one destination for people coming across the southern border. So they're offering welfare that the federal government doesn't offer and other states don't offer. They're offering debit cards loaded up to $1,000 a month so migrants can take buy their preferred foods, culturally appropriate foods, instead of settling for the prepared meals handed out at the shelters. They're offering free legal services. They're offering Unlimited shelter, no cap on the number of days you can stay. At some pretty nice digs. By oh, the way. yes. Very, Hotels for five hundred dollars. Five hundred bucks. Right. And by the way, a lot of this spending would displace money that otherwise would go to veterans, for That's example, right. and other citizens, many of whom have served. And the, the long term plan. Everybody wonders, why are they doing this? Because New York lost 400,000 people in the last three years, people who fled the taxes and the crime. 
and the politicians don't want to give up their congressional seats. So they're packing okay, New York now that's, with that's a charge. Counts. I'll get to you in a second, Alec, but I, it is a specific charge you've made that while they're saying they're, they're foreclosing, you know, people like Mayor Adams is saying the Fed should close the border more and everything, he, in fact, wants more migrants to come I have the New York City controller here. saying he wants these people to come in. He wow. wants them to come in, and, and not only that, but several members of Congress in New York have said the same thing. We need these people for redistricting purposes. And you think that's what they're doing? Oh, yes. Okay. Alec, I want to switch to politics now. And what's happening with the, the Republican primaries are still going on. Nikki Haley is, is hanging in there. Uh, Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott, who's, who's become very strongly pro-Trump right now, uh, maybe a vice presidential part of that ticket, uh, had something to say. He didn't mention Nikki specifically, but he was obviously alluding to her. Roll tape. American people are more focused on their future than Donald Trump's past. What they're more focused on is making sure that our southern border is secured. The American people aren't asking the questions about legal challenges. The American people are asking questions about economic challenges. So why does Nikki hang on? Nikki Haley, David, is only there. She's serving the purpose of the donors that are continuing to fund this campaign. She knows she has no legitimate shot to win. And there is nobody that was smiling more when this decision got handed down that Trump had to pay 380-something million. Nikki Haley was smiling just along with the other left-wing libtards that were celebrating this entire decision. She's only in there to attack the former president. Good and the for you. It's, it's true. I mean, that's why she's there. Let's be honest. She's not there to win. She has zero chance. She is only hoping that there will be a conviction of Donald Trump and that he's removed from the ticket. That's our only path. There is no shot she beats a man. You know, there are, there are some Republicans, not never Trumping, but, but Republicans who aren't crazy about Trump, who were suggesting that she, even they were suggesting that she focus her attention on Biden, not on Trump. Focus on, mm -hmm. on why Biden needs to be changed, why he's done such a terrible job as president. Uh, even they are pushing. Do you think that'll have any effect on, on her change of tone, where she's focused on Biden rather than Donald Trump? Absolutely not. I don't think she's going to stop focusing on Trump. That's what her purpose is. That's why the donors have her up there. And even when we had more candidates that were still in this, none of them were attacking Biden. They were, except for Vivek Ramaswamy, they were all taking stabs at Donald Trump. So that's why I think you're going to see her to continue this path until that money runs out and then she'll be gone. You want a piece of this? Well, I think that she's running uh, behind anybody else on the ticket, right? She should be focusing on 2028. What she's doing now is really burning her bridges for the future. Yeah. Well, speaking of burning his, uh, their bridges, I think he may already have done that. But a lot of folks are saying that President Biden will kind of do a political reset. That's the <laughs> phrase that was used by Axios right. uh, in, a, in a column today during his March State of the Union. It's March 7th is his State of the Union. Do you think he has anywhere to go there? Uh, I think most people are expecting very little that evening. 76% of, of voters, according to Real Clear Politics, believe that Biden is too old and they, they'll be thrilled if he finds the teleprompter and is able to enunciate the words. What I would like to see that night is Donald Trump offer the response Ooh, on behalf be of the GOP live. Last year he did it as a video, yeah. but this is a prime uh -huh. opportunity for him to declare his leadership of the party 
and that would be bad. Do you think that'll happen? I would love to see it. You know, this is a bit of a gamble to put Biden out there for the State of the Union. But the fact that the left wing media is going to fangirl over him, no matter how the thing works out, I think that's why they're going to make well, it a Well, some have play. and some haven't. I must say that that those who are who are rooting for Michelle Obama to step in or or Governor Newsom or whoever there there. So there is kind of this this pull, a little bit of pull. They're not they're not marching in complete lockstep here. I think there's a risk of real disruption that evening, too, because in recent speeches that Biden has given live, he's had like many Rashida protesters objecting yes. uh, for, for support I'll, for Israel. I'll tell you how you find out if that's true. If they send him out there without shooting him up with that cocktail so he can get through it, then you'll know. If he's out there with Novocaine brain, then you know that they're setting him up to take the fall. Finally, I got to talk about another New York story. Cops in New York are going through a very, very tough yes. time. Five, I think over 5,000 injuries from the crooks that have, have been doing. And then they, they have Alvin Bragg, the DA, immediately catch and release. I mean, they have the police catch and then Alvin, Alvin Bragg release. But I got to show you a little. Yes. I think we have that tape of, uh, of what the mayor is putting out as, as the way cops are having fun. Do we have that dance tape? Roll it. Okay, there it is. It's just background. You can see what's happening. That, this is what they're putting out. I don't think criminals are going to be too off-put by seeing this video. No, I mean, but you know, is that really what we need right now in New York? No, but the migrant surge is making this much worse. You know, the Statue of Liberty says, give us your tired and your poor. It doesn't say, give us your criminals and your gangsters. And that's what we're getting. Well, it's, it's like a repeat of Marielle when, when Castro released yes. the, the bad guys that he didn't know what to do with. And, and we took them and we had years and years of trouble down in Miami. But this is writ large all over the United States. You know what, too? They, they keep saying that the illegal immigrants are coming because they want a better place to live. Well, now it's going to be New Yorkers that are looking for a better place to live because the crime's getting out of control. And yes, it shouldn't be celebrated in this way. We got to get hard on crime here in this city. But Alvin Bragg, they probably got like a statue of him down in Mexico. Betsy and Alec, uh, I think we may be keeping you for another segment. You're so damn good. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking next about the demand for electric vehicles, which is basically flatline. And the Biden administration might be ready to admit it. Stick around with Kudlow. We'll be right back. Well, there's an EV revolt going on in America. Most people don't seem to like electric vehicles. To everyone's surprise, the Biden administration may actually be admitting it, at least up to a point. Our own Madison Allworth is here with more on this. Madison. Hi, David. The Biden administration is reportedly pumping the brakes on aggressive green agenda by rethinking some of the tailpipe emission standards. So now the original plan was pushing for 67% of new car sales to be electric by 2032. That means they were looking for a 60% increase in less than a decade. Now, the administration is admitting that might be too ambitious. The EPA is still finalizing the new rule, but it seems they might be slow walking requirements to give automator, automakers more time to reach that goal, not pushing for a steep increase in EV sales until after 2030. We are expecting to get updated rules this spring, but former President Trump making it an issue right now on the campaign trail. Biden's ridiculous electric vehicle mandate and his Green News scam are the old, I mean, these are what they're pushing, the Green News scam. You know, all those cars are going to be made in China within three years. I hope they know that. The Biden campaign responding by saying, in part, 
quote, all Donald Trump knows how to do is lose, just like how he had America losing the electrical vehicle race to China when he was president. President Biden is keeping the United States at the forefront of car manufacturing by investing in the future to ensure good paying union auto jobs end up in America, not halfway around the world. The Biden team also acknowledging that they need to win over automakers. They do have the endorsement from the United Auto Workers Union that happened last month. But the president of the union has said that several of their workers will be voting for former President Trump in November. This raises the question of if this adjustment to environmental goals is in part a play to win over support from that voting bloc. David. Right. Madison, thank you very much. Well, the panel was so great, we decided to bring them back with us. Alec Lace and Betsy McCoy, thank you for staying. Two months ago, just two months ago, I mean, now they're having questions about their, their mandates for EVs and their push for, I think they wanted to go 50-50 within 10 years. Two months ago, I had an interview with Mr. Buttigieg, who was our deputy, who's our uh, secretary for transportation, and he seemed to be singing a different tune. Roll that tape. I don't know a lot of people who think that Americans in 2050 are still going to be driving uh, that old technology, that, that combustion technology that we inherited in like the 20th it. century. Americans the big like question it. is, uh, well, no, you're, you're not going to meet a lot of people who ever go back after they've gone electric. And okay. uh, I think that really tells you something. I mean, Betsy, the, that's because uh, they're stuck down the well, road somewhere. I was going to say a month <laughs> later, we had that scene in Chicago right. where where all these uh, EV drivers were stuck, had to have their cars towed. I don't think they're going to be buying another oh, EV. Oh, no. And how about Californians who were told that they can't charge their EVs at night when they go to bed because electricity is in short supply in California? I have one statistic that says a lot of this. In the United States, there are 5,000 EV charging stations right. and 160,000 yeah. gas stations. So when you get in a car and you want to know where you're going to get your fill up, right? Count on a but gas Alec, station. that's why we need to spend another $3 trillion <laughs> to get all these EV charging stations, right? Yeah, maybe they'll take the money away from Ukraine and put it towards this, right? There but you go. I'll tell you what, though. These EVs, they're a nice-have. They're not a must-have. The American people aren't demanding them. They are crushing the auto workers, especially yes. the car dealers who cannot get these things off the lot. So it's nice to see. I think sooner or later uh, this will be a failed operation. This going green thing will be dissolved, and hopefully we can move on and go back to our uh, regular car. Well, I, I, I get away... I, get a sense that what's happening, what Madison was talking about, is that the, the president's team is realizing Americans don't, aren't going for this. Not only did they see those scenes in Chicago, but there's a price of the things. They're much more expensive. Right. Uh, they, they don't have the, the, the driving versatility that you do with gas powered. So is, do you think the president's team, his, his re-election team, is kind of overriding uh, Mr. Buttigieg here? Yes, and they may be listening to Trump, who said uh, just now on tape, that this is a gift to China and a silver platter. China has already moved very cheap EVs into Europe and has right. captured a big chunk of that market. I also want to talk about uh, uh, liquefied natural gas, because now you have the administration putting a pause on the whole thing uh, at exactly the time when Europe is desperate for it, when we're trying to hold back Russia's blackmailing of Europe, as they've done before with their own uh, natural gas pipelines. Uh, what do you think of that? Is, is the administration going to learn anything about this? Well, it's critical for our energy security here. That's the main thing. And it's, this is all about America first. This is why you see other countries getting rich off of our mistakes. Stakes, and this is why Trump harps on this all the time. And it's like, let's take care of America first. Drill, frack, just like Vivek has been talking about, too, yeah. on the campaign trail. So I think that's where the focus needs to be, Dave. T ten seconds. I mean, it, it is insane, this policy. And, and we have so much potential. You have ten Energy seconds. independence, 
energy dominance. It's the key not only to American prosperity, but world leadership. Yeah. Alec, Betsy, great to see you both. Thanks for being here. And we have more Cudlow straight ahead. Stay with us. And that is it for this special edition of Cudlow. You'll be happy to know Larry is back with you tomorrow. I'm David Asman. Thank you for joining us. But first up, we got Larry, Liz McDonald here to take you through the... From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.